This is the After Hours Director's Spotlight, presented by Amro Music. It's the podcast where we chat with music educators to celebrate the joy of teaching music and learn about strategies for success. In this episode, Nick Averwater talks with Leif Cook. He's the director of bands at Dobbins Bennett High School in Kingsport, Tennessee, a city of around 55,000 people in the northeast corner of Tennessee. Leif directs the Wind Symphony and Marching Band and oversees the 375-member band program at Dobbins Bennett. This conversation will be presented in two episodes. Here's part one. Hi, everyone, and welcome to After Hours Director Spotlight Edition. During these episodes, we sit down and we have impactful conversations with some of the best band directors that we could find. And today, this is certainly one of those individuals. I'm excited to sit down and spend a few moments with Leif Cook. Leif, welcome to After Hours Director Spotlight. Thanks, Nick, and I appreciate the invitation. I've watched so many of your uh, other broadcasts, you know, the After Hours things, and uh, so impressed with what Amro Music has done and the footprint you've created for your company in our activity. It's really awesome. Well, we really appreciate that. And of course, right now you're the director of bands at Dobbins Bennett in Kingsport, Tennessee, a program that's had a tremendous amount of success. But take us through the life of Leif Cook before you were the director of bands. What led you to where you are today? I think I'm supposed to be in the National Park Service because everyone in my family was, both my grandfathers, my father, and my sister, who my sister is still in the Park Service, uh, we're all National Park Service administrators, rangers initially, you know. And so uh, we traveled a lot. I had a great middle school band director in Santa Fe, New Mexico, who I loved. And I think he, I wasn't inspired to be a band director at that point, but I really liked him and he made music and band cool, if you, if you will. And then we moved from Santa Fe to Alaska. And uh, my dad was posted in Alaska. We lived in Anchorage, which is a big city, but they don't do marching band in Alaska for obvious reasons, you know. Right. And so the concert band uh, in my high school in Alaska was amazing. And so I, I was additionally sort of inspired and pushed that way. And then we, we moved my senior year to Gatlinburg. And I thought we were, you know, I was living in Alaska, of all places, and thought I was moving to the middle of nowhere from Alaska, which... You know, uh, ended up being kind of funny. So we moved to Gatlinburg, and I had a great band director there who is probably where I began to think about maybe teaching. His name was Ken Jarnigan, is Ken Jarnigan. Ken did a long career of band directing in Tennessee, uh, finished up his education stuff being an assistant superintendent in Alabama. But he, he was another. So I, I had a lot of great teachers coming through in a lot of, of locales, if you will. So moving to Gatlinburg, I didn't want to go, you know, I didn't want to leave my high school in Alaska. And having great, a great band director there made a big difference. But I think what pushed me into, I was going to be, I didn't want to be a park service employee because everyone around me had always been that. And I kind of wanted right. to chart my own path. Um, but I kind of wanted to do maybe a pre-law thing. And I was looking at some private schools. Hampton, Sydney was at the top of my list. Uh, the spring of my senior year, right as I was getting ready to decide, the band director at the University of Tennessee, who's an icon, of course, in, in the band world, Jay Julian, uh, he was starting a brand new music festival in Gatlinburg. And it was, in, it was like in mid-May. And 
he was sort of just getting started in the, the Smoky Mountain Music Festival, which is a big deal now. And this was its first year, and he wanted cheap labor, so he went to the local high school, and he asked Ken Jarnigan, my band director, if there were some responsible high school seniors who might be able to work on the weekends at this brand new music festival. And so Ken asked me to do it, and I, you know, it was money, so I thought it'd be great. So in the spring of my senior year, I'm slogging music stands and setting up chairs at this brand new music festival and meeting the Dr. Julian, who I was very impressed with, but also all the judges he had hired to evaluate the attendance at the festival. So I'm a high school senior, not knowing who these people are, but I'm meeting four weekends in a row, you know, John Bourgeois and Fred Fennell and Harry Bijan and Jim Keane and all these guys who were legends even at that point and were so nice, just normal older gentlemen who I had no idea that I was supposed to revere, you know, and and so I thought, man, this band director community thing is cool. These guys are from all over the country. Uh, they're all close friends. There's this neat camaraderie. And so I was I was drawn to that and, and ended up going to UT and, and doing the music ed thing sort of as an outgrowth of that experience. That's great. So was, was that the moment that it kind of set in, hey, I, I think I'm going to be a band director or was it prior to that? No, that's it. I mean, that, that was it. Yeah. I, I, had an, I loved Ken Jarnigan, and I thought he did an amazing job. But, you know, I also was close enough to graduating to see all the, you know, the, the tough part of being a band director. And I thought, I don't know if I want all that parent flack and, you know, the, the long hours for not a lot of money. Um, yeah. But then something about meeting all those guys who, who were sort of, not at the ends of their careers maybe, but had had long careers all of Dr. Julian's friends, and mm -hmm. seeing, uh, perhaps seeing the reward they had gotten from a long career in teaching, I think that, that maybe spoke to me. Yeah, and that's fabulous. Helped guide that decision, that direction. So uh, marched in the pride of the Southland band, I assume. I did, I was, uh, I marched clarinet, and, and didn't want to play clarinet in a marching band, so I switched to baritone, and then in a, in a random, Fluke, I ended up drum major mid-season one year and then was drum major again. So I was drum major for a year and a year and three quarters. First job out of college. I can't imagine it was Dobbins Bennett. Where, where did you go after graduating? It wasn't. I, uh, I, I did an undergraduate degree and then did a master's at UT. And right as I was finishing my master's, not even finishing, actually, uh, I was dating a girl and a job came open in her hometown mid-year. Uh, up in Lynchburg, Virginia, and it's a, it's kind of a neat old school that's had had a tradition in band, and had fallen on hard times, and um, I was being told you should apply for this job because in, as a mid-year opening, the applicant pool won't be as stiff. Mm -hmm. Start in January. Right. So I applied and and somehow got it, and so it was E.C. Glass High School in Lynchburg, Virginia, a neat old high school in in the center part of the state up there. And so I was there for six years. I was a 22-year-old head high school band director. Ooh. Okay. Was it, was, it a, was it a smaller program? Um, it, it wasn't massive. The, you know, in the state of Virginia, and they still do this in a lot of places, Virginia still does this, marching band was completely optional, sort of 100% extracurricular. So the marching band was not very big. It had about 80 kids. The concert band program had about 180. So it was a good-sized program. 
that had some room for growth, you know, in certain areas. So, yeah. Is there, I mean, you had an incredible group of people that just influenced you along the way. Is there any one individual that you look back and say, I, I am who I am today because of my time with this individual? Yeah, it's, it's Jay Julian, Dr. Julian. As so many of us who had him will say, you know, he was such an amazing force. And, uh, you know, I, I could, and anyone who was at the University of Tennessee under Dr. Julian has great stories uh, about him and his impact on us. Um, none of his methods are usable in a direct way today. You know, so much of it was in that old school, sort of very aggressive and uh, aggressive sounds like a, a, a negative word and I don't mean it that way. I mean, but expectations that kids in so many ways just aren't even prepared to meet these days in a way. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing that Dr. Julian taught me and, and all of us who were music ed students under his leadership was that being a band, being a band director is a big deal. And uh, he demanded that he be treated in his job no differently than the head football coach or the dean of the engineering school or whatever. Like he, he, he just demanded that uh, he knew that what we all know who, who do long careers band directing that it's a job that impacts a lot of people in an awesome and positive way. And so yeah. he taught me early that if you demand that respect, you'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt about that. So how do you, how does that influence um, come into your job today? Do you have any examples of what that looks like today in your program? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I sort of implied it already. It's expectation. It's, it's setting really high expectations for everyone involved in the program. It's, it's sort of an obvious thing to say you create expectations for students, but you also create expectations for yourself. And you create expectations regarding community support. And you create expectations for district support. You know, you create expectations for what it equals to achieve excellence. And then you also need to be the one who defines excellence, and I think that's a thing we could talk about a long time, you know, what defines excellence. But, you know, I, I think that when I, when I give talks to other band directors like professional development sessions, I, I frequently tell directors, hey, be the unapologetic advocate for your program. You just push as hard as you can get away with pushing. And then someone's eventually going to say, okay, Mr. Cook, we've heard you. Time to back off. And then you back off. Uh, but I think I learned all that from Dr. Julian. Yeah. Well, and I love that, that you reference not, I mean, when we hear the word expectation, I think most frequently we think about the expectations placed on students, which is a big part of it. But for you, it's a much more holistic definition. It's the expectations of support for your program from outside constituents as well. Sure. Well, you know, when you get, when, when you do an interview for a band job, someone's, someone's going to say, Hey, we're hiring you to give us the best band we can have. Someone's going to say that in the interview. You know, once you're hired, whether it's the principal or the superintendent or the football coach, someone's going to say, you've been hired to make our band the best it can be. And once you hear those words, that you've been given permission in that moment to tell them what it takes to get that. If that's what they want, you're the one, you're the only, we're the expert in the room. And so you have to be the one that tells them what it takes to get the thing they hired you to give them. 
And so I think sometimes we get nervous, and young teachers especially need to know this. You know, it's okay to ask for stuff, and it's okay to ask for stuff a lot, because that's what they hired you to do. And, and again, at some point, you'll ask one too many times, and they won't fire you. They'll just say, okay, we've heard you. Stop asking. So when you took the job in Lynchburg, Virginia, and those words were said, we want you to build the best program that you possibly can, what was your list? Oh, gosh, I, would, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So I don't know if I nailed all those things. You know, I, there was a, a friend of mine named George Wenger who taught up here at Tennessee High for a long time. He used to say, you can't teach anywhere longer than 10 years. Now, I don't think that now, but in about my fifth year in Lynchburg, I thought, yeah, it's probably it's probably time to, to look somewhere else. You know, you, and it doesn't always have to be this way, but I felt like I made just enough mistakes in a community that was just small enough to, there will be people who were always gonna remember those mistakes. Uh, you know, nothing, you know, nothing drastic or dramatic, but just, you know, missteps. And so, but to your question on my list, on my list was an, a full-time assistant. On my list, it's always equipment, you know, it's always anything you can do that alleviates the need for your boosters to buy material items. And so my whole philosophy there and here has always been booster money needs to be in support of student experience. And it's the district's job to buy the stuff. So, you know, so many boosters spend just so much time raising money for uniforms. But, and, that, and, and that, you know, that's an expensive item and a necessity. But before, you, before the boosters pull trigger on buying uniforms, you need to push for the district to buy the uniforms. Because no football players... There's no thing, there's nothing like, there's nothing called a football fee, if you know what I mean, you know? So the district's buying all the football helmets. A football helmet in modern times is an extraordinarily expensive thing, you know? So to buy 120 football helmets is a massive expense. But the band at halftime is putting butts in seats in your stadium, and you're probably not getting any of that ticket money. So the district should step up and spend some of that money on the band, right? And this, all of this kind of thinking, you know? Well, but at its root cause, I mean, you're talking about expectations. I want to be treated the same as any of the other programs, teachers, coaches in our district. Yeah. I mean, what football does for kids, baseball, basketball, has so many amazing positives. And band offers all those same positives. And then a whole lot of other awesome positives that have to do with the artistic component, the musical component. But in terms of, of belonging and excellence achievement and an understanding of work ethic, sports and band start level, and then in my view, band goes beyond that. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I think that's such a great, and we're going to talk about advocacy, how to communicate those benefits and how to, really how to do the ask. You know, I want to spend some time unpacking that with you. But before we do, I want to talk about some of the successes that you've had within your program and, and really what, what got you there. Because, you know, a quick Google search, Leif, I got to tell you, I mean, you have an incredibly successful program, at least by all of the extrinsic um, signals. I mean, you're sitting in front right now of a, a, a Tournament of Roses drumhead there. And, and I know your band has made multiple appearances at BOA uh, Grand Nationals as a finalist. So a tremendous amount of success. When you look back at those things, what are you most proud of? Oh, wow. Um, I think the answer for me now 
in my, I'm, I'm getting ready to finish my 29th year as a high school band director. And I think the answer for me now would be like the number of kids I've gotten to teach and that I've gotten to be part of their lives. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to try and sell it that that would have been my answer 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I was trying to kick some tail and make the biggest, best, awesomest band we could have, you know. But now, you know, you reflect on all those things, I think, a little differently as you, as you get older. But proudest, so, so from a pride standpoint, it's, I never thought I'd stay in one place this long, and I'm so thankful I have, because it's kind of neat to have a, a presence in a community for a long time. Yeah, you know? yeah there's no, it, it would be hard to fathom the, the impact that you have had on students' lives in the community. Um, both in the, the the skills that they've learned, the scholarship monies that they've received, the lives that they live now because of, of music. And we were talking about the everything else, but I suspect it's been immeasurable. Well, yeah, and it's, it's a talking point, but I've used it, you know, when I go to the Kingsport Rotary Club and talk about the band, like there was a, it was been several years ago, but there was a moment in time where Dobbins Bennett had a kid marching at the same time in every band in the SEC except Vanderbilt. Like wow. all at the same time, you know? Well, it's it's a long list of successes that the program has had there under your leadership. Now, let me ask you a, a question, Leif. Was there, I mean, on this upward trajectory, was was there a humbling moment where you put you took your band or you put them out there somewhere and you said, "Uh oh, I've got a long way to go to get this band to where I want it to be." Oh yes, we yes, and we call it that. That moment has a name with our staff. It's called the debacle, and the debacle was the year. And I'm going to get the year wrong, but it was in the, I think it was 2004 or five. But we were, we we were big, we were loud. There was a lot of excitement in what we were doing in marching band. So we thought, okay, it's time to try this Bands of America thing. And we had not, I was not a student of it. I had not looked up anything about how to do it. Our design was not manufactured with its success in mind. We just knew our kids could play. And it was time to, to show everybody how, how good we were. So we registered late for the Johnson City Regional, way after the deadline, which means we had to go first. So we loaded up the kids at some ungodly hour, like six in the morning, and went just, you know, across the Tri-Cities to Johnson City. And if you know anything about their football facility, it's an indoor dome, and it's just all metal and beams and hardback chairs. And Had your band played in a dome before, prior to that? We had, uh, we had not. We had not. <laughs> I could see where this is going. <laughs> So the place, we're first in the morning. The place is completely empty except for a couple hundred of our band parents. And, uh, you know, the drum major counted it off, and it sounded like nine minutes of a nuclear explosion, you know? Like, we had no nuance. You never heard a woodwind in our show. It was just horrible. And so... We, but we, we still didn't know in the moment. You know, we thought, hey, it was pretty good. <laughs> So the, uh, the award ceremony, the, the, the band comes back. Because we went so early, we weren't going to hang out there for like, you know, 11 hours waiting on finals. So the band came back, and I stayed. And my assistant, who came back with the band, we had the band meet back in uniform 
at the school, while I was on one cell phone and my assistant was on the other, reading the award results at the end of prelims so that the kids could then get on the buses and come back over. There are 14 school buses parked outside the school waiting on our kids to get back on and shoot over for finals. And they started, back then they used to do ratings in BOA, so they started with the ratings. Nine bands had superior ratings, and we weren't one of them. And only 10 bands made finals. So we knew at that point, at best, we were 10th. And we weren't 10th. <laughs> we, Uh-oh. We were way below 10th. And, uh, and that was a moment where we, we realized, and we had to tell the kids, okay, take your uniforms off and go home and send them right. back. I mean, it was a... We, we talk about that moment still to this day. It comes up all the time, how that was the pivotal moment. And then we continued to do BOA and continued to get our tails kicked, uh, incrementally less over time, you know. Um, and, that, and I tell people all the time, that's, that's it. That's, that's, that's the whole thing. You've got to benchmark your program, your kid's work ethic, your, your personal work ethic, your chops at design and arranging, all that has to be benchmarked. If, if your goal is to achieve some sort of national whatever, then you gotta benchmark yourself against those guys who know how to do it. And in doing it, you're gonna take licks. I mean, it's going to happen, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, conversely, Leif, was, was there a moment in that journey that you look back on and you thought, we're right on the cusp of our full potential. We are just right here and we're gonna make it. We're gonna do this. No, not a moment. Uh, there were two. There were there were two mom, There were two things that happened. So, the debacle I just described was, I guess, 2004. We kind of got our act together to some degree and ended up winning contest of champions in 2006. And if you're a band director in Tennessee, that's like a thing, you know. And so, winning contest of champions that was a really neat moment for our community. You know, oh my gosh, we got so much amazing press locally for that far more winning coc in 2006 easily still eclipse making grand national finals in this community simply because it's you know a, a long-running sort of state level thing but we, we we did that in 2006 and then we hired some new folks to write for us and we continued to get a little better and then we went to grand nationals for the first time and had having never been uh, I think we were 18th, and so that was neat. And then we had some amazing folks reach out to us and say, hey, Life, Dobbins Bennett's, you're, you're, you're a finalist band. You just, now it's all about design. It's not about whether your kids can play or move or know how to rehearse. Like, all that's missing now is the design piece. And uh, those folks reached out to us saying, we'd like to be the people who push you over the edge. And, and they did it. Like, they were just people who knew exactly what we needed, the final little component, and they were able to do that. Yeah, at that level, the, the difference between good and great, the nuance is so small uh, at the it top is. of the list and the bottom. For sure. At Grand Nationals, from, I mean, I, I won't say from first place to 20th place, but from ninth place, eighth place to 20th place, the, the differences are very incrementally right. That's Leif Cook, director of bands at Dobbins Bennett High School in Kingsport, Tennessee. 
Leif had a lot more to say about his career as a band director, so this conversation will continue in the next episode of the After Hours Director's Spotlight, which is presented by Amro Music, a family-owned company since 1921. At Amro, we work with over 600 schools in seven states to bring the joy of music to thousands of young musicians. These partnerships make production of the After Hours podcast possible. Our director services department is ready to work with your school, too. Just email alan at amromusic.com or seth at amromusic.com. You can hear many more conversations with music educators at amromusic.com slash afterhours. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, here are two easy and fast ways you can support the After Hours show. First, your five-star review means a lot as it helps to boost us in the podcast rankings so that other music educators, just like you, can find us. Second, if you thought of someone that would enjoy this week's content and episode, hey, please share it with them so that they too can be a part of the After Hours community. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.